Support for Innovation Hub comes from Cambridge Savings Bank. Introducing the CSB1 package, a checking account combined with investing through Connect Invest to help you build a better tomorrow. cambridgesavings.com/csb1. Support for Innovation Hub comes from Cambridge Savings Bank. Introducing the CSB1 package, a checking account combined with investing through Connect Invest to help you build a better tomorrow. cambridgesavings.com/csb1. Welcome to Innovation Hub. I'm Kara Miller. If you recently buckled your seatbelt or uh, walked a kid to the bus stop or maybe put money into a savings account because you're worried you're not going to have enough money for retirement, then you know that a lot of the choices that we make every day are motivated in some part by fear. We're taking precautions. This week, we're going to take a look at some of our fears, why we have them, and then whether they make any sense. Juliet Kayam used to work in the Department of Homeland Security. She's written a lot about fear and managing it in her book, Security Mom. She also hosts a podcast of the same name that is produced here at WGBH. Juliet, thank you very much for coming into the studio. Thank you for uh, having me. So in your experience, you've thought a lot about security. What situations, what fears do you feel like get hyped, get overblown, that maybe... We should not be as fearful about as we are. Right. So if you just look, if you just deal with numbers and statistically, our focus uh, from the safety and security perspective on, say, ISIS, right, as compared to gun violence seems particularly out of whack, right? The chances of you or someone you know dying or being killed or the victim of ISIS terrorism is so negligible, I can't even give it a percentage point as compared to, say, gun violence in America. But there's explanations for it. One is, I think, we have accepted as a society a certain level of gun violence. Uh, It's hard to admit that, but we clearly have because we're not demanding or there's not changes to gun control laws as there were, say, to seatbelt laws and others in in other dangerous instrument of the past that where people used to die a lot more often than they do now. And also the purposeful targeted aspects of terrorism give it a unique place in our psychology and our sense of stability and our sense of protecting our children. Uh, And so while it is completely out of whack, it's statistically, I kind of also get it, right? I mean, I do. I I get it. Now, how much of that is the media? Because, you know, you talk about gun violence. Well, a lot of people who die violently by guns, and it could be suicide or or homicide every year, they don't get very much attention in the media. So it does happen. Um, I think there's something like 30,000 deaths a year by guns, but we don't hear about most of them. Whereas when somebody is killed by ISIS, especially an American, we hear about it around the clock. Where's that on the chicken egg spectrum? Is that us being concerned and the media reflecting that back to us or them making us more concerned than we should be? Well, it's probably both, you know, and look, I, 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 have a media role, so I'm probably culpable in some of this. That you, that that the interest in something that is terrorism, and specifically uh, Islamic terrorism, right, is of, of ISIS as compared to say uh, some guy who walks into a bar and just kills a bunch of people, sort of your average mass shooting, is particularly acute. Some of that is the legacy of 9/11, and some of it is that sense of defensiveness and concerns. Some of it is that that sort of purposeful aspects that you are being targeted because you are an American um, as compared to targeted just because you happen to be at the wrong place at the wrong time. So and I and I, you know, 
we're about 15 years after 9-11, so I've had a lot of time to think about a you know, profession I've been in a, a very long time. Before 9-11, I was in counterterrorism and thinking about people's irrational fears. And I've come to terms with needing to respect the irrationality. I know that sounds weird. I mean, it's the government's responsibility to try to minimize the fear, minimize the hysteria, people be responsible with information that they have. Uh, but I also think we need to be sympathetic uh, to people's rational fear of, for example, losing a child. Mm -hmm. So you can tell me, you know, my child's chances of dying from ISIS are 0.0001%. But if that percentage is my kid, that's Mm -hmm. that's an existential crisis. And so uh, part of what we need to do, what those of us and and others who are in government need to do about counterterrorism and homeland security efforts is sort of accept that there's going to be a heightened concern and then what can we do to sort of guide it or prepare people for the potential for for anything that can go bad. When you uh, look at polls of Americans, a big chunk of them think that they really do have the potential to be a target of terrorism, that it is a really big threat to America. Is terrorism the only thing that people are fearful about that is in some ways totally out of proportion yeah. to what they should be fearful it's about? It's such a good question. And I should you know, I should say that, you know, these sort of these numbers for terrorism are so skewed. I mean, you know, forty percent of of Americans think they might know someone who's gonna get killed by ISIS. I mean, it's just so ridiculous. And and they break on gender ground. So more women will feel uh, threatened by terrorism than than men. Mm. Uh, and so they really do have a gender distinction in the polling. I think public health fears also, I think this also gets to children, uh, whether it's Ebola or now Zika, um, and before that H1N1 and SARS, really do have a different psychological impact on not only the population, but on how government has to respond to it because of the population's concerns. But terrorism still stands out there as mm-hmm. as unique. You know, Homeland Security and, and, and counterterrorism really... It wasn't born in 9-11. Obviously, the tragedy of 9-11 sort of created this network and enterprise and uh, uh, called Homeland Security. Uh, But I remind people that 2005 was really a course correction, and that was Hurricane Katrina. For people in my field, including counterterrorism, to look at an apparatus of response that could not save an American city from drowning, you realized, oh, my gosh, we were too focused on one particular scary thing that was low probability, maybe high consequence, and maybe we should uh, look at all hazards approach to thinking about our safety and security. This is Innovation Hub. I'm Kara Miller, and I'm talking with Juliet Kayyem. She's a former official at the Department of Homeland Security and author of the book Security Mom. So let me follow up here on that governmental piece. And even broader than terrorism, so it could be addressing any fear that should be a real fear and that the government should address, how have you seen, like, how good do you think the government is at knowing which fears they can do something about and should do something about, and then doing those things. So there's a tremendous amount of focus in government. I think we've gotten pretty good at this. We have been good at thwarting or stopping or, you know, trying to uh, postpone, right? A a postponed attack is good news. Um, What we call low probability, high consequence events, uh, because that's where you're going to get mass casualties. Mm -hmm. So whether it's, you know, uh, ISIS directed or other events like that. And while Orlando and San Bernardino were 
horrible mass casualty events. They just were not the magnitude that we really, really do worry about. And it's nuclear, radiological, those kinds of things. I think what we're getting better at is, or the government's getting better at, is accepting that it's not just government's responsibility. So there's a lot more focus on supporting, at least from the federal government perspective, state and local capacity. We call it the Homeland Security Enterprise now, engaging NGOs, communities, faith-based organizations, getting them engaged with their own capability of minimizing risk. You saw it with Hurricane Matthew. You know, um, Most of the Florida shelters were actually churches. And they're thinking about ways in which you can engage. I think what we've gotten horrible, or we're still horrible at, is talking about our vulnerabilities as being a consequence and not always a bad consequence of the kind of society that we actually have come to expect and enjoy and nurture. And whether it's, it's you know, respect for civil rights, sometimes noddingly, I'll admit that, um, or uh, mass transit systems. So if you live in New York, and if you live in New York, you have already accepted a level of vulnerability that cannot be brought down to zero if you want your subway system to to act as it does now. Right, right. Um, I think as a mother of three, and you certainly know as a mother, you know, my what I call my God-given right to go on Amazon.com. I'm a member of Amazon Prime, <laughs> my favorite. It's people said you belong to clubs. I was like, yes, Amazon Prime. But um <laughs> Uh, you know, and, and you know, because you've forgotten the snow gloves or something, and it comes the next day. Think about that as as the vulnerability of you being able to go online. So think of the cyber network, order something with your credit card. For the most part, it's it's safe. It's in a warehouse. It gets to your front door. So think of the, you know, whether it's by air or sea or land, right. and it gets to your front incredible door. incredible coordination. Think about it yeah. and the levels of vulnerability that have to exist in it for the kind of flow that we expect. I can talk about it now because I'm out of government, and I have come to recognize that in some ways, having been in government, I, I was essentially selling people uh, a storyline that I knew we couldn't satisfy, right? That that vulnerability was a sign of failure, right? It's not always a sign of failure. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's a sign of accepting one or the other side of a balance that we're trying to maintain. You know, if you look at big, broad, 30,000 feet up statistics, you see that fewer people are being killed in wars now than never throughout human history, that, you know, health, public health is is better than it's ever been. In some ways, we should be the least fearful. But you also see that people are indeed very fearful, especially right now in the U.S. What to you is going on? So people who are younger won't remember sort of probably how shocking 9-11 really was for this nation. And I think because we had stratified or divided the world into foreign threats and domestic peace, and it always was over there, and the battlefields were over there, and the the boys we sent to war were over there. And I think that even though we know that the various threats are close, I think we. I think that's what's hard for us to to narrate to ourselves that oh, it's here too, because wars, whether you know whether it's I, the war on terror, I hate that term, but whether it's ISIS or climate change or viruses, whatever, it's all here, mm-hmm. and so it's, I think it's a consequence of the globalization of both information and threats, and they hit us personally in ways that they used to not. Right. So so last thing here, when when people look back in years and years, you know, and, and look back at 2016 and 2020, 
and they have a better sense of like, oh, yeah, that's where they were on that trajectory. You know, mm-hmm. I, I can see where it went because, you know, I'm, I'm living 20 years in the yeah. future or whatever. Um, what will be the things that make sense to be fearful of now and like over the next few years? Do you think, you oh, know, when you sort uh, of look so back? That's so easy to answer. And uh, is climate change. I mean, it is. I know people make fun of uh, of what Bernie Sanders, people don't make fun of, but, you know, the, the Bernie Sanders got attacked for saying climate change was the biggest threat. I think he's... Right. Biggest is uh, ISIS is a tactical, immediate problem. And its solution is about both, you know, war and killing and and intelligence efforts and, and changing hearts and minds. But we will. There's no question in my mind. We will, like we did with Nazism, like we've done with other ideology, violent ideologies. We will not end ISIS. But we will sufficiently destroy it that it will become something that we're not worried about. So climate change, though, and why it's not a progressive, just a progressive issue, I should say. So when someone says climate change is the biggest existential threat, they don't mean like because you're going to get wet. What they mean is, and this is why the Defense Department and the State Department and the Department of Homeland Security all rank climate change as a major threat, is because the movement of people and the fight for resources are why wars are fought over over history. And that's what we anticipate, whether it's the Arctic, where I've been many times, where we basically are creating you know, a new ocean. Let me tell you, the Arctic is going to be uh, navigable, you know, 24-7, 365, very, very soon. Um, and there's or, already it's our, fights over that. Yeah, there's and, fights, and know, we have no governance structure for yeah. that uh, to um, islands that are— you know, going to not be able, you're not going to be able to live there to drought in Africa or even the Arab Spring to how we live on the eastern seaboard and uh, and our capacity to live as and build as we do. That's why a long-term threat like that may not keep us up at night, but it's why the national security apparatus is very much focused on the warming earth as a, not just as a you know, green issue or a mother nature issue. It's actually about defense and national security. Juliet Kayyem is the former assistant secretary for intergovernmental affairs at the Department of Homeland Security. She's also author of the book, Security Mom. Thank you for being here. Thank you so much. I want security, If you're not near your radio some week, but you still really want to hear the show, our podcast lives in iTunes or wherever you browse for podcasts. And you can also listen right off our website, innovationhub.org. All of these things.